This is the widescreen. Ooh, that came out kind of loud. This is the widescreen podcast show number three. This is really coming out loud. Let me fix that. Anyway, this is the widescreen podcast show number three hundred eleven. I know, I know, I missed February. Uh, I mean, kind of, sort of. I mean, I, I kind of missed it, sort of. I mean, you, I didn't miss it. You missed it, kind of. I mean, I'm recording this in February. You won't hear it in February, but I'm recording this in February. So, yeah, it's been a busy month. It's been a really busy month. I decided to make it a month-long campaign on my stream uh, over on Twitch for Stack Up, which is an organization, it's a, it's a non-profit that is uh, all about suicide prevention and mental health in soldiers and veterans and so forth who are, are you know, soldiers who are currently deployed, veterans who might be suffering from PTSD, and they do it through gaming and geek culture. So... It, this is an important thing to me because if you've been around for a while, you know that suicide, unfortunately, has had a direct impact on my life as a very good friend of mine committed suicide several years ago uh, with respect to military PTSD. A friend of mine from high school, her first husband suffered from PTSD uh, and, and mental health issues, and he committed suicide. And one of the things that she said at the time was, this was back when, I mean, granted, mental health still has a stigma to it. We're gradually overcoming that. But back when he committed suicide, she said one of her biggest frustrations was that she knew he needed help. He knew he needed help, but she had no idea where they could go for him to get help. And unfortunately, it's too late now. But for things like, like uh, organizations like Stack Up, they're here for situations like that. If Stack Up was around back then, he might still be alive. So I I raised money for Stack Up last year. I tried to raise money for well, I can't say I tried. Did raise money for Stack Up this year, this month. Uh didn't come close to the goal unfortunately, but you know what? We raised money. It's better than nothing. But one of the other things about Stack Up is that if you know someone who is having some mental health issues, possibly leaning towards suicide, you can still send them to Stack Up even if they are not a veteran because they do have a mental health program that is available for both civilians and veterans. So it really it doesn't matter if the goal was reached or not. If my campaign can save one person's life, whether it's because someone de-donated or because someone couldn't donate but spread the word about it, if one person's life is saved from this campaign, then it's all worth it. It was all worth it. But uh, all month, I pretty much streamed every single night that I was available to, to try to push the campaign. And that's where my focus was. So that's why this podcast pretty much is, is from your perspective, skipped February altogether. But there's been a lot of things that have happened. A lot of, a lot of trailers. Don't worry, we're, we're not going to go... I'm not going to play clips from all the trailers that were released. Trust me. But there is still a lot of news. So let's, let's, uh, let's go on to the show notes. So we'll start off with streaming like we always do. Disney is the latest that's going to start jumping into a password sharing crackdown. Get ready for it. They've already updated the subscriber agreement for Disney Plus as well as Hulu. And they're going to start banning account sharing for new subscriber. Well, they've already started banning, uh, sharing accounts for, with new subscribers and they're now going to start implementing that on existing subscribers starting on March 14th. So they say that account holders will be presented with new capabilities that allow account sharers to start their own subscriptions whereas later this calendar year account holders will allow individuals outside their household to access their account for an additional fee. Obviously Netflix was the big one they started doing this in May of last year and they have reported adding 5.9 million new accounts as a result. And they, too, have an option for the account holder to pay and uh, to pay extra to add a member outside their household uh, or for the person to transfer their profile and create their own account. So it looks like that's what Disney Plus is starting to do, which makes sense. But at this point, Amazon and Apple have not yet started to crack down on password sharing. But at the same time, uh, streaming and entertainment isn't really their main focus. You know, they, they've got products that they want to sell. Same thing with Warner Brothers Discovery. They have yet to announce any kind of password uh, sharing crackdown for Max. But keep in mind, Max isn't even a year old at this point. And right now, management is more concerned about getting that going 
before they start uh, implementing any kind of password cracking down, password sharing crackdown. Brain 100 miles an hour, mouth 50 miles an hour causes problems. So if you have a Disney Plus account and you are password sharing, then get ready. The, the crackdown is heading your way. Amazon Prime Video now has an ad has an ad tier, which basically is their regular tier. So as I've mentioned before, what happened is that Amazon Prime has decided, or Amazon in general has decided that their Prime subscription is not going to raise fees. Uh, and instead, they're going to implement ads in their Prime Video service. If you want to skip the ads, you have to pay an extra fee. Now, let me say on this one, I am very grateful for this because the Amazon Prime subscription is more than just video. It's also music. It's also free shipping. I use my Amazon Prime mostly for shipping, although I do use it for you know some of the music. But for me, it's mostly for free shipping. And I've been annoyed the past two years where they've charged me extra to get the free shipping. Well, I it's obviously not free if I'm paying for it, but you get the idea. They've raised the price on me two years in a row because they were pushing video. So they were punishing me for two years in a row for a function that I did not use. Now, finally, this year they've decided, all right, we're not going to punish everybody else, but... If you no longer want ads, you're going to have to pay an extra fee. There is something to be said about taking away from something, which is what they had before. They took away from an ad-free video streaming service and saying, now, hey, if you want that ad-free back, you have to pay more. Well, this has uh, sparked a class action lawsuit. So the proposed class action lawsuit claims breach of contract and violations of state consumer protection laws on behalf of users. Uh, this is in the state of California who saw the terms of their subscriptions with Amazon change when it pivoted to making its ad tier the default for over 100 million subscribers. So now users must pay an additional $2.99 per month to watch without ads. So, But when Amazon altered its terms, users who, had, users who had signed up for the annual subscription, which is like $179 a year or something like that, um, they were also impacted by this, and they allege that the change is deceptive. In addition to being unfair, the suit alleges that Amazon illegally benefited by advertising Prime Video as commercial-free for years prior to launching its ad-supported tier, which, quote, harms both consumers and honest competition, unquote. So I'm not a lawyer. I have no idea where that's going to go. I can definitely see where people who pay the fee annually were suddenly hit with, oh, well, now you have to pay $2.99 a month in the middle of their annual term. Maybe if Amazon said, starting at the beginning of your next cycle, we're going to do that because that, then that would have given the people the option of uh, deciding whether or not they wanted to keep their subscription. That probably would have made more sense. Whereas people who are on a month-by-month -month basis probably don't have as much to complain about. But we'll see what happens. And of course, I will keep you informed as that one goes on. But I do certainly take issue with one point where they say that uh, it is alleged that many subscribers intend to sign up solely for Prime Video. Mm, I would question that. Granted, this is just my own little personal view space here, but everyone that I know who subscribes to Amazon puts, if not as much value on Prime Video, uh, but they definitely at least have equal on Prime's free shipping option. Again, me, my own little bubble, I don't know anyone who pays that fee just for Prime Video. So Anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens with that. For those of you over in Europe, Sky Showtime, which is the joint venture between Comcast and Paramount Global, will introduce an advertising-supported tier in April. The new Standard with Ads plan will be offered alongside its existing ad-free tier, which will be renamed to Standard Plus. So this ad-supported service will be available starting on April 23rd and will roll, across, will roll out across all of their 20 markets, including Eastern and Central Europe, the Nordics, Netherlands, Portugal, Spain, and so forth. Pricing is going to vary per market, so you're going to have to check with your local, you know, you're going to have to check with your country what the, what the pricing plans are going to be. But it looks like, on average, the ad-free service is going to be about three euros more than the ad service. So, for example, in Spain, the ad tier is going to be five euros a month, whereas the ad-free service is going to go from six to eight dollars, or eight euros a month, not dollars. So if you're in Europe and you subscribe to that, then uh, get ready for, well, 
you have the option of saving money with ads or paying a bit more without ads. Now, interestingly, that same joint venture of Comcast and Paramount Global was also talking about combining Peacock and Paramount Plus. So talks between the two companies were first reported by the Wall Street Journal. Sources confirm early discussions between the two, uh, whose respective subscription streaming platforms are significantly smaller than Netflix and Disney Plus. But apparently there is no deal expected on that now. So word of the talks about this uh, come as Global Paramount Global has been subject uh, various bits of chatter, including speculation that the company could merge with Comcast, which is interesting because just a few days ago, Warner Brothers Discovery apparently was rumored to be in talks to buy Paramount Global. So, so here, one set of rumors saying Comcast and Paramount were going to join up, and now they're saying Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount were going to join up. So, I mean, I guess both of these are strictly in the rumor mill. Uh, but, uh, apparently Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount Global, that whole thing has dropped. Apparently there's still some due diligence going on on a, on a potential transaction, but right now nothing is, is going to be announced and it doesn't look like anything is going to happen. So media mogul Byron Allen also offered 50, or sorry, 14 billion to buy Paramount Global earlier last month. Uh, but he has a history of bidding on, but not buying large media assets. And then to kind of ver validate the previous article, another person said that Comcast is not interesting in acquiring Paramount Global assets. I mean, it's not like Warner Brothers Discovery has its own issues going on. Oh, and speaking of that, we've been following the whole saga of what's going on with Coyote versus Acme. Uh, obviously, last year they made a big brouhaha considering that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery said that they were going to scrub the movie, they were going to take a, a huge multi-million dollar, like $70 million write-off on their taxes and simply not release the movie just like they did with Batgirl and other movies. They simply are trying to get a very short-term, for-the-quarter profit announcement or tax write-off. But the problem with Coyote versus Acme is that it did incredibly well in various test showings. I mean, it had like over 93% in a number of those test showings, which is phenomenal. That's a movie that is screaming to be released. And of course, we all know, because I've discussed it previously, that David Zaslav decided, nope, it's, we, are, we are more interested in getting a tax write-off because profits are more important than people. But the outcry was so swift that some filmmakers even said that they canceled meetings with Warner Brothers. So, because the outcry was so swift, Warner Brothers soon reversed course and allowed director David Green to shop the film to other buyers. Uh, apparently, one of the bids even came in at around $40 million. However, apparently, the reason why it has not gone anywhere is that Warner Brothers knew that they would never get the amount of money that they wanted. Well, they certainly wouldn't get what they would get for a tax write-off. They were pushing closer to $70 million. And apparently that was non-negotiable as well. So that led a lot of insiders to think that Warner Brothers Discovery was simply going to let the clock run out and make it seem as though, well, you know, we tried when the truth is they made sure that it couldn't get sold off. That way they could write it off. And unfortunately, Warner Brothers Discovery has taken a $115 million write down this quarter on unknown projects. They have not announced what those projects are. But considering that Coyote vs. Acme was a $70 million feature, and they said that this is part of a, quote, strategic realignment plan associated with the Warner Brothers Pictures Animation Group, it's pretty clear that Zaslav, who elicits words from me that I don't want to use in my podcast, I might use them on my stream. I have used them on my stream. I just don't want to use them in my podcast. Why break a 15-plus year streak at this point? But, boy, thinking about that mother... Anyway, it looks like, unfortunately, Coyote versus Acme has been taken as a tax write-off. This movie needs to be leaked now. And finally, in streaming, in the I told you so and I've been telling you so category, Funimation is shutting down on April 2nd. So now that in and of itself, all right, you know, it happens. 
uh, the anime streaming service will start migrating existing members over to Crunchyroll, which will not only affect subscription prices, but will also wipe out the digital libraries of people who have subscribed to Funimation and have purchased, quote-unquote, purchased uh, movies, TV shows, or whatever through Funimation. So according to the support page, they say that uh, the transfer may vary depending on your specific payment platform, subscription type, and regions. Legacy members will see a price increase. Although for some reason, they mentioned that the, the price increase is going to go up. And this is right here in their service update. Uh, the price of your new Crunchyroll plan will increase from USD, so, so from $5.99 US per month, to twelve forty nine Canadian per month. Not kidding. I don't know why they decided to switch currencies there, but apparently, you know, American subscribers are now going to be paying in Canadian dollars. I I don't understand it, but whatever. But here's the part where I said I told you so. Crunchyroll will not support the digital copies that were purchased or redeemed through Funimation. So this promotion allowed users to redeem digital copies of like a Blu-ray or DVD that they purchased, uh, which gave them the ability to store or view the show or movie through the streaming service. So you buy the disc, you buy the streaming version. So according to Funimation support page, Crunchyroll does not currently support Funimation digital copies, which means that access to previously available digital copies will not be supported. So all of those digital copies that you quote-unquote own are going away. So not only are you going to be going from $5.99 a month to $9.99 a month, if you did have movies or TV shows that you redeemed and you quote-unquote own on Funimation, you are not going to quote-unquote own them anymore. I've been saying for years now that when you purchase something for streaming, you are not purchasing that. You, you are purchasing a license which can be taken away at any time. We saw it last year where Sony was going to be getting rid of any Warner Brothers Discovery purchased content. They obviously reneged on that one because the backlash was huge. And there, there's nothing to say that because Crunchyroll and Funimation are both owned by Sony, there's nothing to say that between now and April they can't fix this so that anything that was redeemed on Funimation will be available on Crunchyroll. They can still do that. But the point remains that... Once again, if you don't have a physical copy of it, you do not own it. But, I mean, if you want the best of both worlds, you, Plex servers are free and they're easy to set up. You just need to be willing to invest the time in converting Blu-rays and DVDs and so forth over to a format where Plex can stream it. But then you can keep the discs. Oh, and speaking of which... Uh, Apparently, Disney and Sony have just inked a major deal for Sony Pictures Home Entertainment to take over all of Disney's physical media production going forward. This means that Sony will handle and oversee the actual authoring and compression of discs, uh, and they'll work with replicators and packaging vendors, and they'll oversee the titles as they go out to the distributors and onto retailers. So this is technically rumor mill, but this comes from the digital bits, and I have trusted the digital bits for many, many years. So he has a lot of, Bill Hunt has a lot of connections inside the industry, and he says that he's now confirmed it with multiple independent sources inside the industry, and he says people that I trust and have known and worked with for many years, but still, we'll put in the rumor category. Now, this actually makes sense for Disney, uh, for reasons not the least of which is that Sony is way more efficient and cost-effective at producing their discs because they also own a lot of the manufacturing plants. Whereas apparently Disney's physical media operation has had ridiculous amounts of turmoil, not only because of things like COVID, uh, plus cost-cutting pressures, plus personnel losses, the purchase of, of Fox. And for whatever reason, the physical media operation has, as an organization, been tied to Disney's digital and streaming operations. So that means that in recent months, that every decision about which titles to release on disc, uh, including the features to include on them, not only every little technical decision regarding the, the disc, arises during the course of production of those titles and requires scores of people at Disney to be involved in the, in the decision process. If you know anything about corporate politics, to have scores of people coming together to make any kind of decision 
especially when we're talking about disc versus streaming. So those groups are kind of going to be against each other. Not really, but I'm sure in their minds they are. Trying to get that many people to make any kind of valuable decisions on a product is going to be ridiculous. And what's worse is that apparently the people who are actually working on the disc don't have the decision-making power over anything. It's, it's, it's management to an extreme, and that means that decisions that should take a couple of people, you know, just a few minutes to resolve, instead can take 30 people a week or more. So if this does end up having fewer people at Disney making the decisions on what to do with it, that means that they could actually start releasing more discs. And right now, there's a lot of stuff on disc that they could be releasing. They have just a huge number of movies from Disney, 20th Century Fox, Hollywood Pictures, Touchstone, that have not not only not been released on Blu-ray, but not released on Ultra HD. So apparently they have at least 20 classic Fox titles that have recent 4K remasters that Disney is doing nothing with. They're not going to either... Uh, physical media, or streaming. So they've made 4K remasters of these movies, and they're not doing a thing with them. Meanwhile, most other major studios are not only going really crazy in their film libraries uh, to come out with new Blu-ray and Ultra HD releases, they're licensing a lot of those catalog titles to places like Shout Factory, Arrow, Kino Lorber, uh, and, and a bunch of other places. I see it on Twitter all the time. I follow several accounts that deal with physical media, including the digital bits. And there are a whole bunch of Ultra HD discs that are being released week after week after week. You know, the idea that this is a dead market is wrong. It's, it won't be as big as it was. I mean, duh. But there is absolutely a market for Ultra HD and Blu-ray. Based on the numbers, DVD still way outpaces Blu-ray and uh, Ultra HD every week. So now, unfortunately, the really bad news about this is that because of this, and I don't know why they're doing this, Disney is completely shutting down their Disney Movie Club, which for several years now has been doing exactly what a lot of studios are looking to do, especially independent studios, where they want to market discs to the consumer directly. That's exactly what Disney Movie Club has been doing. Uh, my, my friend Matt over at Dooblue, he is a member of the Disney Movie Club, and he got me the 3D Blu-ray for the latest Avatar movie. And he got that because it was a Disney Movie Club exclusive. So, I mean, that's, that's a horrible idea. Let Sony take over the mastering and the production of the discs, but sell it through Disney Movie Club. And the other question is, is Sony going to have any say in what gets released? Probably not. But if this can streamline within Disney what gets released, then maybe we'll start to see more things getting released instead of going through, you know, scores of people who have to agree on it. So according to this, the transition for Disney handing over its physical media operations to Sony has already started and will probably take several months to complete. The first Disney title that will be managed by Sony on physical media will be The First Omen, which arrives in theaters on April 5th. And what's also interesting is that The Verge literally less than 24 hours ago, as I record this, released an article that says, The Case for 4K Blu-ray in a World of Streaming. Now, it's a very long article, and it basically repeats a lot of the stuff that I've been saying over the years as to why a physical format is going to be better than a streaming format. As I said, they are simply reiterating a lot of things that I've been saying over the years, so I'm not going to go over that again. But... A lot of this was sparked because of Christopher Nolan uh, just absolutely praising the benefits of Blu-ray, spe specifically Ultra HD Blu-ray, and the fact that the Ultra HD Blu-ray for Oppenheimer sold out. And Universal had to actually put out a statement saying, hey, hey, we're getting more discs out, don't worry. They were being scalped on eBay. The demand for that particular Ultra HD Blu-ray was so strong that people were scalping the discs on eBay ebay but it's a great article they talk a lot about things that are going on in in the ultra hd blu-ray and a good friend of mine actually pinged me and was saying that this article could have been written by me <laughs> he knows me so well <laughs> anyway i will have a link to that in the show notes if you want to read it and finally uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time you know about tv maker vizio 
They've been around for a long time. They became a darling in the uh, entry-level TV market many years ago by being actually low-priced, but good quality build, good TV sets. They gained very popular, you know, high ratings and so forth early on, and they've been sticking with that. So Vizio's been around for a while. They are now owned by Walmart, or they will be owned by Walmart. They are buying Vizio for $2.3 billion, and it's expected that this deal will alter the streaming advertising landscape. So Vizio is a leading manufacturer of televisions, uh, rivaling Samsung. So basically, Vizio and Samsung are neck and neck with each other in North America. But apparently, Walmart is not interested in the hardware part of it at all. They want Vizio's SmartCast operating system, which has 18 million accounts. And that's, you know, that's 18 million accounts to be targeted by, ad by advertisers. So considering that Walmart is a top retailer of smart TVs, integrating Vizio should be pretty streamlined. But that also sends a shot across the bow to Roku. So what does this mean going forward? I don't know if you're a Vizio fan, but you don't like Walmart. I don't know if they're going to make it Walmart exclusive. The article doesn't say. If they're more interested in the advertising and the, the operating system, it wouldn't make sense to make it restricted to Walmart only, that you'd want to get it into as many homes as possible, uh, including homes of people who don't want to buy at Walmart. So who knows what's going to happen? We'll find out. And if there's any major update to that, I will let you know. All right, going on to the movie side of things. Obviously not going to talk about box office. By the time you hear this, it'll be a new weekend, blah, 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 blah. You know that routine. But obviously the biggest success since uh, the last podcast is Bob Marley One Love, which so far has made $122 million worldwide. Still not necessarily a great number considering that it was made for $70 million. That's a hell of a lot of money for a biography movie. So it's still nowhere close to breaking even, but at least, you know, to say that that kind of a movie making $122 million is pretty impressive. Meanwhile, on the other side, we've got Madame Webb. Ooh. That movie has been getting raked over the coals. A friend of mine who watched it said, and he, he pretty much likes any kind of superhero movie. He was like, yeah, it wasn't good. And YouTube personality who I, I've been following her for a lot of years and I respect her greatly because she's also, she, she's a story writer for Sony. She was, she was reviewing, critiquing, whatever, Madam Webb, and she roasted it. <laughs> it's one of those where she said it's so bad she wants to see it again. I don't know if that's good or not. That hasn't even made its budget back. It was it had a production budget of $80 million so far. It has made $78 million. Definitely a bomb. And not I don't give Rotten Tomatoes that much credibility anymore for various reasons. But even at that, it's the lowest of any major superhero film in almost a decade at 13%. It's one of the lowest starts in Hollywood history for a movie based on a Marvel character. Even Morbius from 2022... That was a much-aligned movie. That went on to at least make $170 million worldwide. This is not expected to do that. So according to one industry veteran, we're not going to see another Madame Web movie for another decade plus. It failed. Sony tried to make a movie that was a different type of superhero movie, and it failed. Now, granted, this comes as uh, pretty much every superhero movie of the last year, except for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, uh, bombed. Every single one has bombed. I mean, maybe Aquaman 2 might squeak by. $200 million budget. Worldwide, it's made $434 million. I mean, eh, it's still a loss. But, I mean, it's now to the point where uh, Hollywood never really liked the term superhero fatigue, which, obviously, I've been using. Friends of mine have been using it. Uh, you know, various um, film... Twitter accounts and, and Blue Sky accounts and so forth have been calling it superhero fatigue. And now it's to the point where that's becoming an industry fact. And now the industry is starting to use that term. So, yeah, don't expect to see, even though this Madame Web was meant to be more of a seed movie, don't expect to see any more. It looks like this seed, this vine is dead. So on to other movies. We've talked about this a long time ago, and we haven't heard anything since. 
But for a while, or a while ago, I talked about there's going to be a spinoff of Ferris Bueller's Day Off that focuses on the two uh, car, the two car valets who took the Ferrari and went on a joyride. If you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. Apparently, that feature spinoff is coming back, and now they have David Katzenberg set up to direct and follow, direct the follow-up movie, which they're going to call Sam and Victor's Day Off. So the film centers on the two valets who borrow the Ferrari belonging to the father of Alan Ruck's character, Camera Fry, in John Hughes' original 1986 film. Why? <laughs> As I said, this was originally reported back in 2022. I remember talking about it here. If you've seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you understand the premise. If you have not seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you really should. It's just a fun, popcorn, fourth-wall-breaking movie. But, I mean, the two valets, whatever. So we talked about Bob Marley and, and that movie, and we know that musical biopics have become a thing as of, ooh, that's what I get for drinking soda during the podcast. Uh, as a, yeah, <laughs> musical biopics have been a thing as of late. Well, there's another one going on this time of the Bee Gees, but what's interesting on this one, and put this in the rumor category, sources say that Ridley Scott is in negotiations to direct the untitled BG movie. This clearly is not the kind of film that Ridley Scott is known for. You know, having done uh, Gladiator, Blade Runner, Legend, Black Hawk Down, Prometheus, Napoleon. You know, all, all those those big kind of movies. And now he wants to possibly do a BG's movie? Now, apparently, Ridley Scott actually has a longtime connection to the BGs through their manager, Robert Stigwood, where Stigwood put Scott on the medieval film Castle Accident that was supposed to star the Bee Gees, uh, but the film never came together. But apparently, Ridley Scott since then has had some desire to tell a story with the Bee Gees involved, and apparently now this could possibly be his chance. So I, I, I guess that dream of his was just staying alive. <laughs> Okay, okay, I deserve that. Naruto, one of the po most popular mangas of all time, is heading to the big screen. So Destin Daniel Cretton, who wrote and uh, directed Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, has been tapped to pen and helm a live-action live adaptation. Me read goodly. Oh, boy. So, Naruto was a coming-of-age story focused on a young and enthusiastic ninja named Naruto... Oh my god, Naruto Uzumaki. Again, brain 100 miles an hour, mouth 50 miles an hour. It causes problems. Uh, who wants to grow up to be the leader of his ninja village, but also happens to have the spirit of a dragon inside of him. So, it became one of the world's most popular IPs, over 250 million copies of its volumes have been sold in more than 60 countries. It also launched several animated cartoons uh, that ran for years on Cartoon Network, Adult Swim, and so forth. So, I mean, it, it's, it's been building a fan base for 25 years. So it's kind of surprising that it's taken this long to get a movie out, you know, big screen movie. And I do know several people who hopefully listen to this podcast who will be very happy to hear that announcement. So... Keep listening, and as I find out more, I will pass that info along. That's kind of what this podcast is all about. John Wick fans who are going to Las Vegas will be able to experience the, well, John Wick, John Wick experience. So it's going to be the fourth uh, Lionsgate Las Vegas attraction, and it has been helmed you know, by, by Chad Stahelski uh, and his team at 8711 Entertainment. They were all involved in the design uh, with the attraction. It's going to take up 12,000 square feet of space. Of course, it's going to include the uh, Las Vegas Continental uh, and the whole you know billion-dollar franchise. It's going to have its own themed bar and a retail shop. Of course, you know you, you got to have the tourist trap. But apparently, this is going to be one of those escape room deals. So each group of guests will be tasked with specific missions playing out in unique ways with characters, mythology, and iconography from the Wick universe. Uh, the 
The adventures entail rubbing elbows with continental staff. Yeah, yeah, da, 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 da. So this follows other Lionsgate attractions such as Saw and Blair Witch, both of which had escape rooms uh, as well as a Hunger Games exhibition. Now, maybe it's going to be more of an experience rather than an escape room. Because it does, all it says is that each group of guests, each group of guests, will be tasked with specific missions, but they don't give any other details beyond that. So all they say is that the attraction is going to open later this year in Las Vegas. No release date or anything, but it sounds like if you're a John Wick fan, that could be lots of fun. You know, we'll find out. I mean, well, duh. I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't go to those things thinking, boy, that sucked. <laughs> I mean, you could, like going to Madame Web. Oh well. Sylvester Stallone is not stopping. Holy sweet Jesus. The dude is 77 years old, and he is returning to Philadelphia with a new movie about a hard-nosed, soon-to-retire police detective who must team up with a younger cop and former priest to stop a serial killer on a murderous crusade through the streets of Philadelphia. We got nothing on anything else. All it says is that filming is set to commence this summer in Philly. I mean, I do want to take my family over there. So maybe if they're filming at the time, I could stop by and maybe sneak a peek of Sly Stallone. You never know. We'll see. Richard Lewis has died. The uh, self-deprecating comedian who had a number of stand-up TV specials, a sold-out concert at Carnegie Hall, and, and starred in Anything But Love and Curb Your Enthusiasm has died. Uh, he died peacefully at his home in Los Angeles after suffering a heart attack after revealing last April that he had been living with Parkinson's disease and since then ha was uh, retiring from stand-up. So most of what he did was stand-up or TV-based. Uh, he made it to Johnny Carson's show in 1974. In 82, he appeared on uh, Late Night with David Letterman. He had his own, like I said, stand-up routines. Starred with Jamie Lee Curtis uh, for four seasons of Anything But Love, but is probably mostly known for his recurring role on Curb Your Enthusiasm. Although he was on a number of various TV shows, the Larry Sanders shows, Tales from the Crypt, Two and a Half Men, uh, you know, a number of them. But he also appeared on the big screen in movies like Wagons East, Leaving Las Vegas. She's funny that way. But if, although he's probably going to be more well known for Curb Your Enthusiasm, he also has a soft spot in my heart for his role as Prince John in the Mel Brooks comedy. Robin Hood, Men in Tights. Richard Lewis was 76. And Carl Weathers has died. Uh, he's appeared in more than 75 films and TV shows over five decades. And he's probably mostly known as Apollo Creed from the first four Rocky films. Of course, Star Wars fans also know him from the series The Mandalorian, where he played Grief Karga, the head of the Bounty Hunters Guild over its three seasons. And he actually had an Emmy nominee for his role back in 2021. And he also directed some episodes in seasons two and three of The Mandalorian. So he started his career back in the 1970s. Oh, man, old farts are going to recognize a lot of these TV series. Uh, and I include myself in that. Good Times, Kung Fu, SWAT, Six Million Dollar Man, Cannon, Starsky and Hutch, Barnaby Jones. I pretty much just released... The, the big shows of the 1970s right there. But he's probably more well-known for his big-screen roles, including movies in Predator, the original Predator, uh, Happy Gilmore, Action, Action Jackson, Toy Story 4, Death Hunt, uh, Force 10 from Navarone. But I think for most people, he will always be known as Apollo Creed. Carl Weathers was 76. In the last podcast, I talked about the, uh, as a rumor, the zombie sequel 28 years later. Well, that's no longer a rumor. It's landed at Sony. As I said before, director Danny Boyle and writer Alex Garland have reunited, reunited to write and direct the sequel, which also is going to come with a part two. So this is going to actually be two movies. Killian Murphy, whose career was basically launched because of the original movie, is returning as an executive producer. I mean, he could possibly star or act in the movie, but right now, the only thing that they've got is that he's going to be an executive producer. So, regarding these two movies, each movie would have a budget in the $60 million range, but it's unclear how that could change. 
Apparently, a theatrical release was of great importance to the filmmaker for this, so hopefully it's not going to go straight to streaming. But that's all we got. So it looks like what was rumor is now confirmed. The new Supergirl movie is moving along to the point now that they have found Supergirl. Supergirl will now be starring Millie Alcock, who stars in uh, House of the Dragon. So, according to this, the character is expected to appear in various DC Studios projects before she gets her solo movie, but it's unclear what movies those are going to be. Uh, James Gunn and Peter Safran have said that this is not going to be the Supergirl that audiences are used to. She will stand in contrast to her cousin, Superman. So, one thing that they said when they first announced this project is, we will see the difference between Superman, who was sent to Earth, and raised by loving parents from the time he was an infant, versus Supergirl, who was raised on a rock, a chip off of Krypton, who watched everyone around her die and be killed in terrible ways for the first 14 years of her life, then come to Earth. So that's all we've got, and that certainly is going to be an interesting take on uh, Supergirl. But it's going to be a while before we find out how that pans out. Tim Burton is on board to direct... A remake of Attack of the 50-Foot Woman. I mean, that that is a B-movie from the 1950s. But for some reason, Warner Brothers has decided that they can't show Coyote vs. Acme, but they want to redo Attack of the 50-Foot Woman because reasons. And, and just to show you how B-movie this was, the tagline from the original 1950s movie was, Turned into a giantess by an alien... A woman finds her husband in a bar with a floozy. That's the log line. I am not kidding you. I mean, is the word floozy even used anymore? Anyway, for some reason, Tim Burton has decided that that's worthy of his interest. And for some reason, Warner Brothers has decided that's more valuable than Coyote vs. Acme. <sighs> Who knows? Speaking of Tim Burton, the Beetlejuice sequel now has its official name. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice 2024 AD. Yep. That is its official name, and it's, well, it still comes out on September 6th. That part hasn't changed. But now you know the unusual title for it. Even though Jim Carrey was thought to have been retiring from movies in general, he apparently is returning for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. So even though, uh, spoiler alert, I mean, there, there, there were indications at the end of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 that Dr. Robotnik would not be returning. Apparently, that's not the case. I mean, not surprised that they're making another Sonic the Hedgehog movie. The two movies combined brought in over $870 million worldwide. But uh, Jim Carrey basically said that he was retiring unless a really good script came along. So I guess a really good script came along for Sonic the Hedgehog 3. No other info, but I'll be sure to let you know when I know. There are a few bits here from uh, Marvel and Disney. Marvel Studios has said that Thunderbolts, is uh, the release date is being moved to May 2nd, 2025, and it's going to be pushing back Fantastic Four to July 25th, 2005. The news comes as, a, uh, as they confirmed that the cast for the Fantastic Four reboot will star Pedro Pascal as Reed Richards, Vanessa Kirby as Sue Storm, Joseph Quinn as Johnny Storm, and, I hope I pronounced this right, Yvonne Moss Backrack as Ben Grimm. I know, if I got it wrong, I'm sorry. Uh, WandaVision director Matt Shackman is set to direct Fantastic Four. And if you've never heard of Thunderbolts before, neither have I. The movie reportedly revolves around a group of villains who are sent on missions commissioned by the government. Well, thank you for that. That's as, that says so freaking much. I really appreciate that. Bob Iger has also announced that Moana 2 is coming out as a feature and is coming out this November. Uh, that's despite the fact that a live-action version uh, is set uh, for June 27th, 2025. So according to this, after receiving an unexpected call from her wayfinding ancestors, Moana must journey to the far seas of Oceana and into dangerous, long-lost waters for an adventure unlike anything she's ever faced. No real surprise they're making a second one. The first one made $687 million. 
and supposedly it is the most watched movie for 2023 on Disney Plus with over a billion hours watched. No word if Dwayne Johnson is coming back for his role. However, it has been confirmed that Aulie Cravalho is going to be returning for her role as Moana. Disney also confirmed that Zootopia 2 is going to be coming to theaters November 6th of 2025. No surprise, although it's taken them a while. The first one came out in 2016 and grossed over a billion dollars and won the Oscar for Best Animated Film. So no idea why it's taken them nine years to do it, but nonetheless, Zootopia 2 is on its way. Uh, 20th Century Studios also announced that an Alien reboot, and they're calling it a reboot movie, called Alien Romulus, is set for August 16th of this year. Now, they don't say if this one is streaming or not. I'm assuming, uh, I'm assuming theatrically at this point, so I'm going to go with that. We'll see if I'm right. I've been wrong before. But interestingly, the Disney Plus movie, The Young, uh, sorry, Young Woman and the Sea, starring Daisy Ridley, is actually getting a theatrical release on May 31st. Now it's going to be limited, but apparently this is another one of those situations where the movie tested in the high 90s. So yes, you can consider this to be another win for streaming movies that are actually heading to the big screen, but as a limited release, if it, if it does indeed turn out to be a limited release, you're probably only going to be able to see it if you live near a major city. Still, still better than streaming only. There is also a new Predator movie in the works. Dan Trachtenberg has come in back. Uh, he was he earned an Emmy nomination for his Predator movie, Prey, uh, except this one is going to be called Badlands. It is not going to be a sequel to Prey. Prey took place in 1719. Uh, this one is said to be set sometime in the future. Uh, however, like Prey, it will also have a female lead. So there's nothing else that we got on this. Uh, no word on whether it's going to be theatrical or streaming. Considering how well Prey did streaming... Maybe there's a chance that this will go theatrical. Who knows? But production is far enough along that they're actually expecting the movie to start work, being worked on in July. David Leach is no longer going to be directing the next Jurassic World movie. Apparently, uh, talks broke down. And as, as usual, it came because both he and Universal had different visions for how they wanted the movie to go. So apparently this movie will be a completely fresh take. Jurassic World cast members Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard, as well as the original trilogies, you know, Jeff Goldblum, Laura Dern, Sam Neill, are not expected to be involved in this one. Maybe that was a point of contention, who knows, but David Leach is out. Oh, and hey, Gareth Edwards is in. So apparently Gareth Edwards, who also directed Rogue One, which is a fantastic movie, is in final negotiations to helm this new Jurassic World movie. And I have no other info other than that. Interesting that they're they're abandoning, or supposedly abandoning, uh, the Jurassic World casts as well as the original cast. I mean, if they're around, you can utilize them. But, I mean, I guess there's something to be said about just having a brand new take to it. So, we talked about other uh, musical biopics and so forth with the Bee Gees and so forth. Apparently, Sony Pictures thinks that this would be a great time to have a movie about the Beatles. Now, what's interesting is that they're going to have four feature films, each one focusing on each member of the Fab Four. So Sony currently does not have any writers on board. They're hoping that it will begin shooting in the UK sometime in the middle of 2025 with a planned 2027 release of all four titles expecting to shoot all four movies together. So the fact that they're hitting the big screen at all is unusual because the group has never licensed their music for any kind of scripted biopic. But even at that, I mean, even I'll admit, is that... I mean, I know a lot of young people nowadays who don't really care about the Beatles. Most of the people I know who care about the Beatles are old farts like me. Now, granted, I mean, the Beatles, according to the Recording Industry Association of America is the biggest selling music act of all time, but four biopic movies about the Beatles going theatrically? Even I'll admit that that feels like something more suited for streaming, especially since there are four movies. But whatever, you know, we'll see what happens. We've still got some time. Sony might change their mind and put it streaming only. But for now, it's a theatrical release. And, you know, I'll, I'll let you know more as I find out what's going on. Interestingly, 
This comes on the heels of one of the trailers. Again, I'm not going to go through any of the trailers. We're already at 50 minutes, and I've got something like 12 trailers that have been released since the last podcast, or, or at least 10, something like that. But one of them is for Kevin Costner's Horizon, an American saga, which is going to be not one, not two, not three, but four movies. And right now, Chapter 1 is scheduled to be released on June 28th. Chapter 2 is scheduled to be released on August 16th. Right now, there's no word on Chapters 3 and 4. In fact, maybe there won't be a Chapter 3 and 4. Maybe it depends on the receptions of 1 and 2. But Kevin Costner has said that he wanted this to be a four-part series. He wanted them to be shot back-to-back. However, the production of the third film ended up being paused because of the Hollywood labor disputes from last year. So we'll see what goes on with that. But, I mean, considering Westerns are risky, there have been a lot of Westerns that have done very well as of late, but that's, you know, what, what's that phrase? Pa- past, past, oh, shoot. Past performance is no guarantee of future success. That's the one. But anyway, I will we'll put the trailer for that in the show notes. Moving on, the latest Bad Boy sequel had a theatrical release date of June 14th of this year. And the studio is pushing it up a week. So news of this change came because the uh, John Wick spinoff Ballerina is being pushed back from June 7th of this year to June 6th of next year. So if you've been wanting the next Bad Boy sequel, you don't know, you, you, you can get it a week early. So as a, someone who was a teenager back in the 80s, the Masters of the Universe, you know, He-Man and the Masters of the Universe has a very special place in my heart. Um, yeah, we don't talk about that movie. We don't. <laughs> you know the movie I'm talking about. But apparently a re-imaging of the movie, of, of the franchise, has long been in development. So put this in the rumor category, but apparently Travis Knight is in final negotiations to direct. Apparently the deal has not closed, and other elements of the project are still coming together, but all signs are pointing to Knight being the top choice. So Knight is actually the president and CEO of Leica, which is the Portland-based animation studios mo- made er, best known for movies like Coraline, Kubo and the Two Strings, and so forth. But he made his first big entrance into live-action movies with Bumblebee in 2018, which not only received some of the best reviews of the franchise, but he also delivered the film under the typical budget of a Transformers movie. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'm cautiously optimistic, but, I mean, there is... That other movie. We don't talk about that one. The new Karate Kid has been found. Sony Pictures has cast Ben Wang, best known as the star of the Disney Plus series American Born Chinese, to star in the latest installment of the Karate Kid franchise. So apparently he delivered a standout audition that demonstrated his connection to the character, and it also helps that he is fluent in Mandarin and highly skilled across many forms of martial arts, including... Karate, Kung Fu, Gumdo, Kempo, and Taekwondo. So this new Karate Kid movie will have both Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio reprising their roles, but the new movie is going to bring the story to the East Coast and focus on this teen from China who finds strength and direction via martial arts and a tough but wise mentor, maybe even two of them. As of right now, the movie is set for a release date of December 13th of this year. The Uncharted movie from 2022 can be considered a success, I suppose. It had a budget of $120 million, but still came in and raked in $407 million worldwide. And Mark Wahlberg, who starred in that movie, next to Tom Holland, has come out and basically said that, well, it's not official yet, but he said... Actually, I just got a call today, and they got the script in for an Uncharted 2. Uh, they said, start growing your mustache. It's going to take, or start growing your mustache. It's going to take a while. Maybe not start your mustache yet. It's going to take a while. Maybe that's a typo in the article. I don't know. said, I'd be interested to see what the story's like and where that adventure takes us, but I'm excited. I know, ex- I know audiences really love the first one, so we'll see. Well, considering that it did technically come out ahead, Shouldn't be surprising that they're working on a sequel. Uh, I guess we'll we'll find out at some point in the future. Duh, we're not going to find out in the past. John, idiot. So I mentioned earlier that the John Wick spinoff Ballerina has been delayed by a year, but I didn't say why, and apparently that reason is to film additional action scenes. So 
It's now opening June 6th of 2025. It was supposed to go in on June 7th of this year, but now the Crow remake will be taking that spot. Insiders say that the film will be getting additional action sequences under Chad Stahelski, who is the guy behind the John Wick franchise. He will be working closely with ballerina director Len Wiseman on the sequences, and the studio feels that because The Crow is ready for theaters, there's no reason to rush ballerina if they can make it better. So, with respect to The Crow, this reboot, reboot stars Bill Skarsgård, who people know from, from uh, It, and apparently it's being based on the original graphic novel, such as the very first Crow film was. So, as per Lionsgate, soulmates Eric Draven, played by Skarsgård, and Shelley Webster, FKA Twigs, is that really someone's name? Okay, whatever, are brutally murdered when the demons of her dark past catch up with them. Given the chance to save his true love by sacrificing himself, Eric sets out to seek merciless revenge on their killers, traversing the worlds of the living and the dead to put the wrong things right. Now, obviously, they need to tread a little bit lightly on this one. The original Crow, which was released in 1994, also, you know, was based on the, the graphic novel and it combined gothic fantasy, action, romance, and so forth. But it's also the movie that had the tragic onset accident that led to the death of its star, Brandon Lee, who was the son of martial arts legend Bruce Lee. So Brandon Lee was accidentally shot during filming due to a prop gun mishap. And unfortunately, the movie had to be released posthumously. But it has since become a cult classic. Or I guess depending on what circles you're in, it might just simply be a classic. But they did say, The original film left an indelible mark on our culture that lives on. We are thrilled to bring a new adaptation for today's audiences that respects this legacy. Well, I guess we'll find out on June 7th. Okay, we're getting close to wrapping this up here. As I said, a whole bunch of trailers have come out since the last podcast. I'm not going to play segments from every single one of them. Plus, the fact that this is an audio podcast doesn't really help in that regard. Uh, so, obviously, Horizons and American Saga, that one came out. The trailer for Despicable Me 4 came out. Uh, another trailer for Ghostbusters Frozen Empire. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 trailer came out. Uh, a Quiet Place Day 1, so the sequel to A Quiet Place, that's going to be coming out. I really should be mentioning release dates, shouldn't I? Well, we know Horizon and American Saga Chapter 1 comes out on June 28th, Chapter 2 on August 16th. Despicable Me 4 comes out on July 3rd. Ghostbusters Frozen Empire comes out the weekend that I'm at PAX East. Oh, that's going to be coming out March 22nd. Blood and Honey 2 will be coming out on March 26th. Okay, A Quiet Place Day 1, that's... That trailer has been released, and that's going to be coming out on theaters, in theaters, on June 28th. Twisters, the sequel to the, well, Twister movie, uh, that now has a new trailer. That's going to be coming out in theaters on July 19th. A new trailer for Kingdom of the Planets of the Apes has been released. That movie is coming to theaters on May 10th. They're not calling this a trailer. They're calling it a first look. Okay, for whatever reason. But the first look... For Wicked, which I'm really waiting for, that's uh, that's been released. That movie's coming out on November 26th. And no, no, I have not forgotten because you've probably seen it already. The official teaser, they're calling it a teaser, for Deadpool and Wolverine. The third Deadpool movie has been released. It's amazing. Funny as hell as you would expect. And yes, if you haven't seen it, he does take a shot at Disney. That one came out during the Super Bowl, and it was seen 365 million times within the first 24 hours of its release, making it the most reviewed trailer of all time. No surprise on that one. That comes out on July 26th. And oh hell yes, I am going to be in that audience that weekend. And finally, you know that I like to mention when screenplays for, for popular movies are out. Not necessarily because it's going to change your view of the movie or anything, but sometimes it's interesting to see how movies go from scripts to being what you saw on the screen. And maybe, maybe there are one or two of you out there who are interested in writing your own screenplay, but you don't know what they look like, how to do them, 
or you just want to see how the professionals do it. Well, there's a new Read the Screenplay from Deadline, and this time it is spotlighting on one of the biggest movies of last year, Barbie. And, of course, that means that the script has one of the most talked about monologues in recent memory, which is from America Ferreira's Gloria from the movie. So if you're interested and you want to see how screenplays are written, I will have a link in the show notes. And unbelievably, we are an hour into the podcast. That's fine. Those of you who are, are longtime listeners will understand how crazy what I'm about to say actually is. I actually have recorded this podcast in its completion in one sitting. Pick your jaws up off the floor. I know, I know, I know. Normally my executive dysfunction kicks in and it takes me a couple of days to get the podcast done, but tonight I was focused and I got this stuff done in about mm, three hours, three and a half hours, which for me is absolutely ridiculous. Hopefully I can figure out what I did this time and apply it to future podcasts. Maybe I'll actually be able to, you know, get them out more often. Actually, I don't know what the next podcast is going to be like or when that's going to come out because I will be going to PAX East. That's going to be taking place on March 21st through 24th. If I have enough material to do a podcast before then, I'm going to, I'll do what I can for it. And then maybe if I can just get, get past this idiocy of where I need to have a certain amount of material before I do a podcast, I need to stop that. And if I can get, you know, shorter podcasts on less material more frequently, it's going to serve the same goal. And who knows, maybe it'll make these podcasts a bit easier to digest in that regard. I don't know. Executive dysfunction sucks. Let me just tell you that right now. And if you don't know what that is, it's not procrastination. Executive dysfunction is not procrastination. Procrastination is, eh, I'll do it later. Executive dysfunction is, I want to do that. I need to do that. I have to do that. I'm not doing it. I'm getting angry that I'm not doing it because I need to do it. So stop getting angry and get it done. And the brain is just like, nah, don't want to do it. It sucks. It sucks. And it's one of the major reasons why this damn podcast has gone to being once a month. And I hate it. But anyway, I'm just complaining. I'm just, <laughs> I didn't, didn't mean to vent like that, but maybe just an explanation. You know, it's not laziness. It's not because I don't want to do the podcast. It, it's just my brain says, nah, and I, I need to overcome that. So anyway, I'm done here. Thank you for all three of you who keep listening to this podcast. I do this for you. It's like I say on my Twitch streams. The fact that I do actually have people who listen to this is amazing. Because it's such a saturated market. The movie podcast space is so saturated. And there are so many others that do it better than I ever could hope to do. They, they get, you know, they're professionals. And it, it's a very professionally produced podcast. And here I am, just a Joe Schmo who sits in a microphone. I don't even use background music anymore. But the fact that people still email me and, you know, let me know that, that they still listen, it does mean a lot. So thank you for that. But anyway, that's it for this time. I will see the Anon. Take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Because, God, do we need that in the world right now. And, uh, toodles. Trick with a double tongue, but the only fool hears me. I choose the way to go, but the road won't set me free. Cause I wish you'd see me, baby. Save me, I'm going crazy. Trying to keep us real, keep us alive. This day we'll die tonight, and there ain't no exception. We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for. Love me in this fable, babe My heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe This podcast is copyright 2024 and is released under the Creative Commons license. Some rights are reserved. The widescreen podcast is a proud member of the Blueberry Network. That's blueberrynoease.com. Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com.
If you're interested in gaming, prop making, or my favorite game, Warframe, feel free to follow me on Twitch, Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at Widescreen John. Yes, I have modified my ending copyright text for the first time in 15 years. But there we go. That's the new reality. This has been a widescreen.org production.